Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of The Julia LaRoche Show. Today's guest is Harley Bassman. He is managing partner at Simplify Asset Management and he is the convexity maven himself. Harley is a well-known fixed income guru and he is the creator of the Move Index, the Merrill Lynch Option Volatility Estimate, which is similar to the VIX Index. It is widely recognized as the measure of interest rate volatility, and it is at some extreme levels lately above 150. We talk about why that is the wrong number, and of course, he answers all of your questions around the move and what it is signaling. There's been a lot of talk lately, doom and gloom, some folks who are really optimistic, but I like to think of Harley as more of a pragmatist, and he talks about why we just need to reprice everything, stocks, bonds, for reality. I really enjoyed this conversation with Harley. I learned a lot and I think you will too. Harley Bassman, managing partner at Simplify Asset Management and the convexity maven himself. It is so great to have you on the show. Welcome. Thank you very much. Glad to be here. Well, Harley, I'm so excited to talk to you, especially all things fixed income and a lot of things transpiring uh, there. But I was hoping just for folks to get to know you better, we could kind of start um, at the beginning with a bit about yourself and your background. Uh, well, I, I am a California native. Uh, went to school in San Diego. Uh, went to U Chicago Business School when you can go right from college to business school. That's kind of gone now. And ended up on Wall Street on a trading desk at age 23, also, which is unlikely now. Um, I was at Drexel Burnham for a few years and then went to Merrill Lynch uh, in, in 1985, uh, where I spent 26 years there. Uh, at various times, I ran the uh, mortgage trading desk, I ran the option trading desk, and other everything that has to do with convexity, optionality, um, call, call it non-linear payoffs is what I did. So that's, that's kind of my skill set. I uh, went to California a few years ago, uh, back home, um, worked for PIMCO, and now I'm with Simplify, um, where our, we're, we're, we're a very we're a clever startup. We're know, barely two years old. Um, I'm, I'm employee number nine, so I can brag to my kids, I'm a, you know, I'm in a startup. Um, but our, 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 you know, trick really is that we embed convexity, positive convexity, optionality into ETFs to make them perform better. So your ordinary beta it goes up a little faster, goes down a little slower for a relatively small fee. And um, that, that that was good enough to bring me out of retirement. Um, you mentioned, um, you know, kind of convexity um, and optionality and nonlinear payoffs. And um, maybe for folks who are listening, maybe it's not um, the most intuitive for folks who may be new to this. Can you can you just like quickly explain um, convexity and your yeah. focus there? Convexity, you know, we like using X words and Greek letters to go confuse people and charge a higher fee for stuff. Um, that's the Wall Street way. But, but the reality is this, explaining it to mom and dad, if you have a bet or anything where you make one or lose one for even moves up or down, even bets, that's zero convexity. If you make two and lose one, positive convexity. You lose three, you make two, negative convexity. The magic of all this is figuring out what is the value of that. And that's why we hired all these physics PhDs in the 90s and early 2000s to go and model up what it's worth. I mean, if you have a, a security that yields 4% and it goes up and down one, down one for interest rate changes, if it goes up by two and down by one, that's a better bond. So you're not going to pay 4%. You might pay three and a half or 3.75 or three and a quarter. What's that number? You know, it's less than four. That's all you know. Um, and that's what we do. And then a lot of securities will lose three, make two. Well, that should yield 5% or something like that. 
That's why junk bonds yield so much, because what can they do? They can go to 100, but they could drop to zero, right? So you get, you get a lot of money for that uh, payoff. And um, it's just that simple. If, if it's not even up and down, then there's convexity to it. That's it. Like there's an asymmetry that comes with it. Exactly. Got exactly. it. Um, I would also just love to kind of um, f- get you to frame up your kind of overall macro views right now. What are the things you're paying attention to? And then we'll start to, you know, dig in on some of these ideas. What's the macro picture for you today? This is not rocket science, man. The Fed printed money, period. I mean, people say that the Fed can't create inflation and can't do this. Yeah, they sure can. I mean, you go back 5,000 years in the history of time. There's no example, you know, uh, in, in the libraries. Well, maybe there was in ancient Egypt that got burned in the Great Fire the Library of Alexandria. But if you go and print the currency of the realm, shiny rocks, sticks, whatever it might be, at a faster pace than the growth of the overall economy, you'll get inflation. That's it. There's more currency out there. There's more money out there than there are things to buy. And we did this. Um, people thought it would happen quickly, um, but it didn't. And it took 10 years um, for it to happen. We did get inflation immediately when the Fed printed the money. It happened in assets, stocks, bonds, gold, diamonds, art, housing. So we got massive inflation. What we didn't get was CPI inflation. We've now had that because this money got distributed to away from asset markets to ordinary people via the government's largesse, which I will not say is good or bad. We had a pandemic. We had a, a financial crisis you know, 12 years ago. I'm not saying it was the wrong thing to do. But the result should not have been a surprise. And now we have this uh, inflation uh, coming through. So the, the process now is how long will it go for? What can bring it back? And to the extent it doesn't come back down, how do we reprice everything? Stocks, bonds, gold, housing. How does it get repriced if inflation does not go back to 2%? Yeah. Um, when it relates to inflation, like, what are you, what, what do you have an outlook there for like what you're thinking about? Do you think it's realistic that it can come back down? Um, what are you thinking as it relates to inflation? Well, those of you that watch me on various podcasts over the last you know year and a half know that I kind of tangled with a lot of people, um, some of them rather famous, uh, about whether inflation was transitory. Um, uh, my argument was no, it wasn't. It was it was going to go on for quite a while. Others thought it was going to you know drop back down quickly, including the Fed. Uh, with with, with maybe in good spirit they thought that um, it didn't happen. Um, inflation is not coming down quickly at all. Um, I think one of my my, my recent commentary, which I, I published for free every four to six weeks, I uh, stole a chart from uh, from Mr. Bianco, and you could run inflation at zero for the next you know six months. And year over year, will still be at three and change. So inflation just can't get back down again. What's happened here really is we have two things going on. One is housing, shelter is continuing to rise. It will rise even with housing pricing coming down because the way it's calculated is by OER, owner's equivalent rent. And that has about six to nine month lag from house prices. The reason why the government does that is not crazy. When you buy it, they used to do CPI with a house. The problem is a house is both where you live and an asset, an investment. They wanted to strip out that asset component, the stock component to it. Uh, and they poll people about what would your house rent for. And that takes six to nine months to get into the system. So we still have this tailwind of shelter, which is, you know, a third to 40% of CPI. And then we have services, labor, 
which is another huge component. So we may have oil coming down and gold coming down and copper coming down. That's all true. But the actual cost of labor services is still pushing in through the economy uh, as we have a lack of people. We have a reduced labor force. Why is that? Pure demographics. The boomers are retiring, ain't coming back. Uh, and so we have this mismatch of demand, millennials, and supply, boomers. Yeah. Um, so we're going to see inflation staying elevated. Will it stay at eight? No. Will it be at four or five in a year? Yeah, sure, it could be. It will be at two. I find that unlikely uh, unless we get a real, you know, head crushing inflation uh, recession, which is kind of what the Fed's doing right now. Yeah. You mentioned there are several things I want to um, explore a, a little further with you. And um, you kind of mentioned like the different components going into inflation, like services um, remaining uh, high and um, kind of highlighting that inflation, the expectation for you is that it'll stay around like 5%. So my, my question for you is with the Fed raising rates, um, I guess they want to crush demand, increase unemployment. I mean, is it it kind of feels like it's like you're kind of damned if you do and you're damned if you don't, because I'm just I mean, I want to hear you elaborate on it, but you're going to cause a recession. A lot of people are going to lose their jobs. And it doesn't sound like it sounds like inflation's still going to be there. Look, we're in a we had to rather we had to we did print money and give it away during the pandemic. Was that a public policy? Good. Probably. Um, when was the right time to stop doing it? Unclear. But I'm not going to go in second guess saying we should have let people like, you know, lose their jobs and all bad things. So we we paid a price in the future for a good in the in, the, in the earlier two years ago. Um, we now have to go and reverse that. And um, there will be there will be some pain doing this. Um, if you look at incomes in quintiles, 20 percent blocks, the lowest 20 percent make twenty seven thousand and below. The highest quintile makes 141,000 and above. So this middle 60%, 27K to 141K, these are the people who actually get hurt by inflation. The, the, the bottom people will get support from the government. The rich people, they'll take care of themselves. So we have the 60% block of people who have been hurt by inflation. If we take unemployment from three and a half ish to five ish, okay. So what happens to the people lose their jobs? Now, that, that's pretty brutal losing your job. Um, so it's not even one and a half percent versus 60 percent, but is it three times, five times, eight times worse? I don't know, but I do know that going from three and a half to five is a sacrifice for a smaller group of people than for the 60 percent. So the, what the Fed is doing is right. Uh, I mean, you have to make decisions. You have to make choices. Um, part of the problem in government nowadays is nobody wants to go and make a decision, but we do have to do these things. This is what the job they get paid for, despite the fact that they don't do it. And uh, the Fed's doing the job, and and they're right. Um, the mistake was they should have raised rates a year ago, and everyone knows that. Um, even the Fed knew that. The problem at the time, as I've offered in my theory, is that um, for various political reasons, uh, Powell was not renominated at the right time, which is in like last last you know, November. Um, they dragged their feet for political reasons. He then felt kind of caged in. He couldn't raise rates because he might not be renominated or be, you know, reconfirmed. That froze him for six months, um, and, and the and low rates kept on going. Uh, I think that's what happened. I, I think if he had been renominated or reconfirmed very quickly last year, he would have hit the brakes much earlier than March. He would have hit it probably in the uh, early summer. Yeah. Um, 
I, and I, I'm going to bring up uh, like volatility in, in a sec, but um, also you mentioned, um, and it was interesting to me, you mentioned demographics, this kind of um, imbalance with boomers and millennials. Could you could you explore that a little bit further? Um, I've posted some various charts uh, on my website uh, and other various places over time uh, about demographics. Ultimately, demographics is the iceberg. It's the pig in the python. It's everything. Uh, inflation in the 70s, we're going to go talk about Burns or Volcker as the Fed, the Fed chairs at the time. You know, Volcker having, Burns having not killed it, Volcker having killed it. The reality is this. The 70s inflation was really not Johnson, guns, and butter from the 60s, the overspending. It was the pig in the python of the baby boom generation maturing, marrying, having kids, demanding goods and services. And, their and this huge demographic is demanding goods and services from a smaller World War II generation. It was smaller because it was a there were depression babies, and two, they were kind of killed in the war. Um, so you have a supply-demand mismatch. And if you look at where we peaked in inflation, it was right around when the boomers were turning, you know, 30, 31, 32, having kids, having a house, having a car, washing machine, all the things you need where you're buying stuff. That's when it peaked. And as it went down, because the boomers were becoming more productive in their late 30s and early 40s, your peak earning years, and now they are, one, demanding less, and two, they're producing more. The supply of goods and services is, is, is increasing. And so what you've seen, this entire inflation process is following the baby boom generation. Now, what's happening right now, and I wrote about this seven, eight years ago, because demographics, it's known. The kids are born. They ain't going away. Um, we knew when we were going to have this grinding of the gears was predicted to be 2022 to 25 right now. And this is when the boomers will start to retire because they turn 65, 67, right? And the millennials, well, millennials, they get married, have kids a little later than the boomers did. And so right now, I mean, the average, you know, millennial in San Fran has their first kid age 32. New York City, age 31. This is, used to be like in the mid-20s, you know, a generation and a half ago. They are now getting married. My two daughters both got married last year, and they're going to go and want a house and a car and a baby carriage and bibs and everything else. And now they're not making these demands as they should. They're going to want to buy a house as they should. And they're going to buy it from a smaller working population. So uh, the core supply demand demographically uh, supports higher inflation and higher rates, notwithstanding what the Fed's doing. Yeah. And we knew this. We knew this 10 years ago. Um, not surprised. Yeah. No, I'm a, I'm a millennial too. So it's interesting. You, you, you have millennial children um, and, you, and you mentioned that and like, higher inflation like higher prices higher inflation like what what kind of i mean how do you think millennials are going to have it compared to like the boomer generation it's going to be a lot tougher for um our our cohort um there's a great book came out on uh, 10 15 years ago called i think it's called boomstown by christopher buckley who is the world's best um satire writer um and he was writing about this great war between the boomers and the millennials because basically the boomers have robbed the millennials. Um, I, I, I'm sorry to say, but this is what we did. We, we, we've spent all this money, we've borrowed, and soon we have Social Security and Medicare that we're going to demand as a promised good. And it's going to have to come out of the pockets of millennials who are working now. We've, we've spent now, we've borrowed money, it gets paid back 10, 20 years from now. Uh, this, is a, this is a public policy disaster. Um, and how we process the boomers retiring 
and becoming sick is is unclear. Um, I, they're going to they're going to means test all this stuff. Uh, they kind of have to. Um, the greatest public policy bad I think is is not Social Security, Medicare for boomers, but um, sorry for millennials, is, is the um, housing. The Fed really jammed the mortgage market down. Um, one of the charts I have in, in my recent commentary is the mortgage rate, not not for not not the retail rate that you pay to buy a house, the mortgage security rate, which is where those loans get put into and then sold into the market, and, and they're bought and sold by you know ordinary people or pension funds or insurance companies. So your Fannie and Freddie and Ginny mortgage-backed bonds, they usually trade around three quarters of a percent above the ten-year rate, forever. Um, they got as tight as the mid 30s. So if if, if the 10 year was 2%, a mortgage bond might be 2.35 as opposed to 2.75. Now that mortgage backed security rate, I just took a picture of it. It's 183, 1.83 over above the treasury, the, the, the 10 year rate. This is insane because these bonds are full faith and credit of the US government. Um, and to trade that much higher is, is kind of nutty. Um, and then you've seen the retail rate, the rate that homeowners pay, quite another 100 and change over that. Um, that rate also is usually 75. It's now 100 and change, which basically puts the retail mortgage rate almost near seven. Um, this is rates we haven't seen in 20 years. Um, and the cold bond math of this is that when once upon a time, um, a year ago, let's just talk about a $500,000 mortgage. Simple numbers here. You put down $50,000, you borrow $450,000. At 3% rate, that would cost you $1,900. At a 6.5% rate, which is actually below where we were, where we are now, but when I wrote the piece, you could now, you can't, for the same $1,900, you could only borrow $300,000, not $450,000. So with your 50,000 down deposit, apples to apples, the house you could afford is now 350 as opposed to 500, down 30%. Will house prices drop by 30%? Um, no, they won't. They won't do that uh, for a lot of reasons. One, there's not going to be any supply because people who have a 3% mortgage aren't going to move because they can't afford to go to a 6.5% new mortgage. Um, you're not going to default either because Danny and Freddie, the, the, the government put through rules after the great financial crisis so you could only borrow money if you didn't need it. So, so the line of loans are gone. You're not going to be defaults dumping housing on the market. So maybe house prices drop by 10 to 15%. But this is a great public policy mistake, that they've raised house prices dramatically into the, the, the onslaught of millennials needing to buy houses. This is, this is just wrong. Um, and how do you fix it? I mean, the Fed's got to go and... Um, you know, slow down demand, cut inflation, and 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 have rates kind of tighten back up again. This will this this will cure, but the next you know three to nine months is 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 really problematic because what you see when you get this kind of situation is bond market sees it first, they tighten up, stock market sees it next, they tighten up, and then the housing market sees it kind of like Wiley e. Coyote off the cliff. And I'm sorry to say, but the house prices are not going to go and reconfigure to current rates for probably six months. Uh, house prices will come down um, as the mortgage rates eventually, they'll tighten back in, but it'll, it'll take time. So people trying to buy a house right now are probably unfortunate.
I want to um, just explore this a little bit further with you. Um, you said bond market sees it first, followed by stock market, and then housing. And yeah, you just kind of outlined, um, you know, some of the the issues there. Um, as a father of millennial children, like, what would you say if they are like, "Hey, Dad, I want to. I'm going to buy my first house." Like, what what's the advice you would give to someone in my <laughs> demographic? Well. Serendipitously, this is exactly what I'm having right now because my, my, my number two daughter got married and she's ready to move out of the city. Um, and um, I've kind of said, if there's a way you could rent, you know, for another six to nine months uh, and push it out, um, I would try to do that. If you see an incredible house at an incredible price, go and do it. Uh, and, and if you pay a six and a half percent rate, that's okay because you can refinance the mortgage rate. I mean, the one good thing in the U.S., only in the U.S. and Denmark can you get a 30-year fixed-rate mortgage. Every other country in the world, you buy a floater, an arm, um, and that they, they do they do that so the banks won't be stuck with uh, with with huge risk like they did in the in the 80s. Uh, and most banks get rid of that fixed-rate risk by putting them into Fannie and Freddie and Ginny and put them into the market. So buyers of those mortgage bonds take the refinancing the, the prepayment risk. Um, I would go. I mean, if you see a great house, I'd go do that. But I don't. I don't think you need to go get in a bidding war right now. And, and that's my advice. Um, if you get pregnant, well, then you got a different story. And, and I will tell you that, that the apartment that I'm in right now, I bought with my wife being eight months pregnant, and there was no negotiation for that. <laughs> yeah. Do, do you think is there a housing? Do you see a housing crisis on the horizon, or is that like too alarmist? There's not going to be a housing crisis. It's, period. It's not going to happen. You need, for to have a housing crisis, you need to have people who have to sell and can't sell. Um, and loans behind those sales that, that sell and below the, the, the value of the loan to occur. Um, first off, we have a 40% you know, equity cushion from all the loans taken out in the previous few years, right? So, I mean, you can have house prices go down by 20% and that house is still in the money. No one's mailing in the keys. That's just not gonna happen. And two, as I said before, People, the supply of housing will be limited from lack of delinquencies and defaults and lack of people moving because they have this 3% loan that they want to keep. So someone wants to, I mean, and also the fact you can work from home now, fine. You have your job in San Fran or whatever, and you get, you go to, your company goes to Austin, fine. Work from home then, and you can stay in your 3% house. So um, I, I just, the, 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 the low mortgage rates we have um, are almost like, New York City rent control of the, of the 70s and 80s. It kind of locks you in place for a while. And you know what? With Zoom and work from home, it's not a bad thing. So it, it's, it'll be okay. Mm -hmm. um, and then just kind of going back to the point you made about like, uh, I mean, bond market starts to see things first, followed by the stock market and then housing. Uh, let's talk about the bond market and specifically um, the move index, which I'm so excited to have you on because you're you're the creator of it, the Merrill Lynch Option Volatility Estimate. Um, for folks listening or watching, can you first just explain uh, what the MOVE Index is and why it matters? Uh, the MOVE is the VIX for bonds, plain and simple. The VIX came out in, I don't know, 91, 2, 3, somewhere in there. And I saw this thing goes, and I'm running the option business. It's like, I need a, an index for interest rate volatility. Um, and so I made up the MOVE. Uh, the E was always tough. The MOV was pretty simple. The the, the E was always a challenge. Um, and um, it, it's calculated, it's basically almost identical to the move index, to the VIX. It is the one month 
implied volatility for options on the two-year, five-year, 10-year, and 30-year interest rate measured 20, 20, 40%, and 20. That's because the 10-year tends to be the most active uh, benchmark out there. And that's it. Now, what's more important to know is it's actually a real number. It's not some index off 100 thing that moves around. If you take that number right now at 151 and divide it by 15.9, you can use 16 for, for make it easy if you want. 15.9 is the square root of 252, number of training days per year. The 151 is an annual number divided by 16. It's a daily number. You divide 151 by 16, you get about nine and a half. And that is what the market is saying, predicting, estimating. We will move in rate every day, close to close, nine and a half bips. That is a really big number. Nine and a half bips movement every day for a month um, doesn't happen. Well, clearly it's happening right now, but the move forever. And I've seen you've seen my chart. Um, it's 80 to 120. That's where it's been. It went into the 50s and 60s a few years ago, not by an act of nature. It was because the Fed crushed interest rates and controlled them. They didn't put their thumb on the scale. They put their whole body weight on the scale to knock everything down. That's how you get rates of, you know, twos at, you know, 0.2% and tens at one and a half percent. It's not by, you know, random act of kindness. Um, and, and, and being at 150, doesn't happen. Well, it does, but not for long. And the reason why it will not last for long um, is that people can't do it. Human beings who are trading bonds back and forth, they can't do 10 basis points a day. Their heads blow up their necks. They What they do is they just go and they, whatever trades they have on, they take off. They unwind their books, they get flat. They want they want to get rid of all risk um, because it's just too much movement to, 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 to manage. And so you see a, a 150 rate will be there for a while, but it will come down. Same thing with the VIX. I mean, the VIX at 30, which is nothing, but a VIX at 60 or 70 doesn't happen. Well, it happens, but it comes off very quickly because a VIX of 60 would be 4%, right? Divided by 16 uh, every day. You can't move 4% every day on the S&P for a month without people like jumping out of windows. So this, this too self-corrects itself. People just con con collapse all their trades. So that's it. Yeah. You know, as you wrote in your recent commentary, like the move at 50 and the move at 150, they're both wrong. What does yep. it signal when it gets to those levels? Like what are the signals that it, it sends to the market? Um, you're, you're circling around a bigger concept, which is prices matter. Interest rate prices really matter. Right? That's the price where you could borrow money to build a factory, um, where you could borrow money to buy a house, um, all the uh, how you discount cash flows back. Um, they matter a lot. And what the Fed did in the last you know X number of years was utterly destroy the signaling process of prices back to investors and capitalists and workers to know what to do. Um, and by the way, the true irony is they canceled the vision for themselves. Their own efforts basically clouded their view of the world to where they're operating on numbers they don't even understand uh, because they're, they're, it's a controlled number. Um, when you get a move into the 50s or a VIX into the teens, what's happening there is um, 
it's kind of like you, you, you own a bakery made of wood and you have an oven in there. And of course you have fire insurance because you're in a wooden bakery. That's kind of, kind of dangerous. And you buy your insurance and you bake your bread. And you know, it starts raining and it rains some more. It keeps on raining. It rains for a couple of years. And finally you say, why am I buying fire insurance? My wooden house can't burn down no matter what happens because it's raining every day. And so you stop buying insurance. And then it keeps on raining. You go, you know what? I'm going to make a side business of selling fire insurance. What a good idea that is, because uh, it's just still raining. Um, and so you start selling fire insurance. And then, of course, it stops raining, and your house burns down. You lose your house, and you get claimed by the, all the insurance policies you sold. That's kind of how it happens when the move is at 50 or the VIX is at 10, 12, is you have people in a desperate effort to get yield, to get return, taking crazy risks and selling crazy options. Um, uh, so that's why your junk bonds were trading at what four percent a year ago. Like, are you nuts? That's the, that's the wrong number. But when you have tens at one, junk bonds at four sound pretty good. But of course, it's just the wrong trade. So the Fed engineered people into doing bad and overly risky trades. Once again, a public policy mess. Yeah, and then when it, and that's when it's like in the fifth. The move is in the fifty. The VIX is in teens. And folks are desperate to get yields. But when the move is at 150, is that like a warning sign? Move at 150, you're supposed to go and sell. You're supposed to go and and buy securities that are short optionality. Right now, Fannie and Ginny five and a halfs are trading like 98 and a half. Fannie and Ginny sixes are trading like 100 and a half. You can get basically a 580 yield on a full faith and credit bond um, uh, with no, basically, no, I mean, it has duration risk, but it's like a five or six year duration. Like that's just playing the wrong price. It is. Um, you could you could buy muni bonds, callable muni bonds. Um, California, I'm buying double A bonds. That's hot, very high quality credit, right? Um, 4% coupon at like 98. So a four, 10, four and a quarter yield. Triple tax-free to me on a high-tax state. Doesn't work quite as well in Florida or Texas, but whatever. If I'm getting an 8% pre-tax yield on a double-A general California bond, that's that, that's basically an equity return, right? What's the long-term equity return? Eight, 9%? If I can get a four-and-change percent yield, triple tax-free in California, that's 8% pre-tax. I'm getting an equity return with a guarantee, almost guarantee getting the money back. Can California go bankrupt? Yes. Will they go bankrupt? Unlikely. And if they do, then I better have cans of tuna and a can opener because I got bigger problems than my than my portfolio. Got it. Um, you know, oftentimes when people just talk about the markets, I mean, I feel like a lot of the discussion is always like on the equity markets, but I feel like you could probably learn a lot by looking at um, at the bond market. What are some of the things that folks could learn? Like maybe for like the person who's like a little bit newer to the space, what can they glean from the bond market? I, I think, I mean, it depends how new you are, you know, um, if you're very new, then please be careful. If you're moderately, you know, knowledgeable, I think what you should be looking at right now is why do we have a two-year treasury at 430, 440, 10-year treasury at 394, 30-year treasury at, you know, you know, high threes. 
that's kind of strange. That's very strange. If you look at this is not for 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 you, you know, folks at home, but but for professionals, quasi, you look at the, the swap rate, which is the actually a much bigger market. That's where we trade derivatives. Um, you have a five-year rate that's um, sixty basis points, seventy basis points higher than the thirty-year rate. This is kind of crazy town. Why do you get such a massive inversion of the yield curve? Um, you're probably going to go and look and say, well. I probably should buy twos and not thirties, but you should also say if the market's doing that, it's signaling to be something. And the signal is this, the best predictor of a recession is the yield curve. You will see the lots of different rates can be used. The standard one is two year versus the 10 year. When that inverts, so the two year rate is even one penny higher than the 10 year rate. You generally see a recession 14 to 18 months later. Remember last November, so we're going to go get a recession probably next spring. There you go. Uh, the markets are all pricing that in, and I think you're going to go see a recession sometime next March, April, May, um, and that's when the Fed's probably going to stop, you know, tightening in, in right right before that. Um, so I think the two year at uh, four thirty, it it's a great place to buy because I think the Fed's not going to take rates higher than four sixty, which was the rate they indicated they, they 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 kind of foreshadowed with their dot plot at their last meeting um and so i think it's a fine investment um what the back end of the curve is going to do i don't know uh, you, what you're seeing happening in, in in england right now is a result of you know bad things happening to good markets you know the the reason why the back end trades below the front end why 30 years trade below two years um, writ large is pension fund management. That's it. It's it, it, it's how do we go and process this retiring baby boom cohort who we've made promises to via their pensions or their health insurance? Um, those are thirty-year liabilities because people are going to you know, not die for thirty years, so they have to go and buy thirty-year securities, either bonds or, or, or stocks, whatever. They're very long dated stuff. And that's why you're seeing this curve invert because we're having to process these the boomer population it means you got to buy 30-year treasuries um and we know the fed's taking rates up and that's, i think i'm getting too much in the weeds for you right now but the lesson for people is notice the shape of the yield curve and think about why it's there and i can assure you all the reasons you think about they're right there's more than one reason uh, and, and 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 you probably see it right in front of you when you see the sign in front of a McDonald's or Arby's or In-N-Out Burger saying, we'll hire anybody 19 bucks an hour uh, when minimum wage is, is only 15, you kind of know what's going on over here. Yeah. I don't think you're getting too deep in the weeds, by the way, because I, I personally find it fascinating. I'm learning a lot, and I think other folks um, will learn a lot from you as well. Um, so don't worry there. Um, so I've just seen a lot of folks on, on Twitter um, talking about like the – they keep pointing to the move index and like the, like that it's kind of wild um, at these levels. And some folks have pointed like when they're at these levels, they tend to coincide with pretty bad events um, over, over, the, over time. Someone also pointed out, uh, and I want to love to hear you react to this, but they point out like the crazy moves in the move index. And um, they highlighted that there's a disconnect between the move and the VIX. Um, Everyone loves and, that chart, man. They all love it. it, 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 it it's a good-looking chart. I, I haven't even used the chart, even though it's kind of bogus. Um, in general, 
implied volatility, option prices for one month options on liquid stuff, S&P, 10 year rate, gold, uh, oil, all those things for liquid things, trades about eight to 12% over realized. That's it. There are people out there, hedge funds out there, other macro alpha seekers who will go and sell one month options, one month straddles on something, gold, oil, FX. And every day they'll, re at four o'clock, they'll rebalance their portfolio and they'll try to capture that eight to 12% premium. Um, right now, the VIX is 3031 and the 21 day realized actual volatility is 29. The move is trading 151. The actual realized right now is um, 140. It's all magic, okay? I mean, that's it, it trades that way because because it, well, it kind of has to almost. Um, what's happening here is not that the move is 150 and the VIX is 30. That's not the news. The news is bonds are moving, you know, eight base points a day for the last month. That's insane. And that stocks are moving, you know, a point and a half every day, which means basically that people are an orderly decline. People have been worried, but they haven't panicked. There's been no uh, margin calls. There's been no over-levered people. Um, the real risk of the bond market, that's where people got in trouble, where they were borrowing money to invest in something else, and their cost of borrowing went from you know 25 cents, a quarter of a percent, to all of a sudden four. Well, that changes the whole dynamic if your cost of borrowing you know goes up like you know 20 fold. Um, and that's why the bond market is going crazy, because people have unwind all of their uh, their leverage trades. Um, uh, and, and so, you know, that's the news. Bonds yeah. are moving crazy. Stocks are not. They're going down. And I think they're going to go down more, but they're going to go down in an orderly fashion. And in, wait, in an orderly fashion, you think? Yeah, sure. I, I, I don't foresee an 87 stock crash. I foresee... Uh, a readjustment, a repricing for the the well, I guess I was gonna say the new world, what I really mean is the old world. What's what's the the old world was what? It was like a three, four percent two-year rate, a four, five percent ten-year rate, a six percent borrow mortgage rate. That was the old world. Everyone was happy with that. What was wrong with it? This nonsense of a zero percent funds rate, a quarter percent two-year, one percent ten-year, and a three percent mortgage rate. That was the wrong price, okay? This is the wrong price. This is the right price. With this right price where we are, um, we have to reprice all assets. We have to reprice art, gold, housing, bonds, stocks, everything else could be priced. Why are you seeing, why is ARC? I got no problem with Kathy Wood and everything else she's doing there. God bless her. But why is it down, was it 85, 90%, whatever the number is? Why is that? When you're buying these ultra long dated ideas, an Amazon, a Tesla, whatever, um, Netflix, you know they're going to make a trillion dollars in 30 years. They're going to be unbelievable winners. She is right about that. That's 30 years from now when they make the trillion dollars. What's a trillion dollars worth today? If you take a trillion dollars and discount it at 1%, how do you do that? You do, you in your calculator, go type in 0.99, right? That's 1% to the 40th power. And that's some number. 
Now take 0 0.96, 4% rate, and multiply that to the 40th power. It's a very different number. That's why these long-dated equities, these ultra-long-dated um, tech companies, uh, new age companies, trade like 70-year treasuries. That's what they are. The, the, the problem is not the, what they're going to make. It's what's the value of that today. That's why they're being wiped out. That's it. I've never thought of that, like looking at it the way you would evaluate um, like bonds. That's fascinating. Um, Look, I'm in Chicago, man. This is what we do. <laughs> yeah. Um, so it's, you know, it's like so helpful having you, especially as the creator of the Move Index. Um, my, my other following question is, is the bond market broken? Is it dysfunctional? Like, how would you diagnose it? Because I see a lot of, again, I see a lot of folks on Twitter saying various things like, how would you diagnose it? Look, all the press, what's the old, the old expression? If it bleeds, it leaves. Who wants to go and ever have a headline? All's fine. Happy days. Go have a cocktail. No, you want to have we're going to crash and die and burn and everything else. That, that, that's what's fun and exciting. All the pundits all want to go and get, get, get their faces on TV and get their, their tweets and everything else. Well, they want to go and say crazy stuff. The world's not broken, okay? And by the way, this is not the worst ever. I mean, I'm not going to talk politics. That always, always ends poorly. But this is not the worst it's ever been. In the 60s, we, 1968, we had two assassinations we had bombings in the street, okay? I mean, that was a lot. We had a war going on with, with body that's coming home every day. That was a lot worse than right now. Whatever you think about our politicians, that was worse back then. I mean, everyone always thinks today's thing is the worst, the most, the best, whatever. But no, it's not. I mean, it was worse back then. Yeah. Um, yeah. All we're doing right now is just repricing for, you know, the real world. The Fed has taken their thumb off the scale and we're repricing to reality. Reality of that we have uh, a, a massive deficit and a massive debt that we're running. Borrow, so we're still borrowing more money every day. Uh, all of Western society borrowed a lot of money, um, and now we're repricing it. That's it. Um, is it happening quickly? Yeah. Is it happening faster than we thought, even than I thought? Yes. I mean, remember, a year ago, Powell said, a year and a half ago, go pull up the, the, we'll pull up the, the TV show. He said, we're keeping rates at zero to March of 2023. That was what they said. And we all thought that's the case. Now, I thought we got have inflation, but I thought, I didn't think it would happen this quickly. And they'd hike rates this fast. Um, so I've had to scramble a little bit for myself. But I mean, the numbers are the numbers. Um, it's not, inflation is transitory to the extent that life is transitory. I mean, this depends on your horizon. Um, uh, the the you know, team trans says we 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 meant two or three years, not two or three months. Okay, maybe you meant that, but at the time you didn't say that. Okay, let's be clear, you didn't say that, guys. Um, uh, and the Fed didn't say it either. Yeah. Um, yeah. Inflation will be down back to two. I'm not sure we'll get there. Um, you know, three. Yeah, sure, it'll be in three years, but three years is a long time away, and we have to, and we're only going to get there by the Fed throwing us into a recession with reduced demand until everything stabilizes. And, you know, green policies, you want to go from oil to 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 electric, that's fine. I'm not going to argue with you about the merits of that as a public policy notion, okay, or environmental notion. But I will say there's a price to that because presently oil and, and gas are much cheaper per 
unit of energy. They are. And we're going to go spend money to go and convert over. Is that the price we, we pay for saving the planet? Okay, fine. But we will have inflation from energy coming from this transition. That's the price we're going to pay. That's going to come in inflation and come in higher rates. Um, lots of things like that are going to occur. Um, so don't get mad. Just we're making decisions. Yeah. Um, it's Again, I, I'm so grateful to have you on the show. And one of the things I just love about um, – you know, hosting this podcast is I get to talk to folks who have j- differing views. Um, some folks are a bit more like doom and gloom, more pessimistic. Some folks are really optimistic. But I'm kind of hearing from you, like maybe you're just more like of a, of a pragmatist and repricing everything for reality. Like I, I want to just kind of double click a little bit more on like the reality, um, your views of the reality and what a repricing could or should look like. Well, number one, as I close uh, almost all of my commentaries, it's never different this time, period. It's never different this time. We have not reinvented tragedy. Um, It's just going to be new to you. Um, And um, I think, I mean, I I think twos at 430 is kind of it. Tens, I'm not sure where they go to. It really kind of depends upon a lot of things. I think that stocks are, 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 a 15 PE is not that bad with a 4% 10 year. Um, the problem we have right now is we don't know what the E is going to be. And, and and that's very, very tricky. Um, so earnings of whatever, 230, 235 is what we had trailing. So 3,600 is not the wrong number with a 15 PE. The problem is the E goes to 200. Will that happen? Historically, you'd see things like this happening when you get a recession and reduced demand. The difference may be this, that we built up this string of oligopolies, um, I would call them monopolies. I've been saying for a number of years now that Amazon, Apple, Google, it should all be broken up. They are 1910-style standard oil monopolies that should get broken up. It's a public policy bad to have them controlling so much of what, of what we do. Um, can the government do it? Will they do it? Unclear. Will they do it properly? I don't know. But they did it you know, 100 years ago. They should do it again now. But until that happens, these guys have tremendous pricing power because there's no plan B. Um, and, and so maybe you're not going to see profits go down at an Apple or a Tesla or a, uh, a Google uh, or, an, or these various other companies. They, they're, they're oligopolies or maybe monopolies. And so you may not see prices, uh, profits drop as much as we might think from an ordinary cycle. Mm-hmm. Um. This is just like me personally, but sometimes, and I and I think it's because I'm a millennial. I don't know how your kids feel, but sometimes when I hear recession, I, I immediately go back to like 2008 and then like kind of graduating into the aftermath of that and, and dealing with that. So sometimes it brings up like a bit of fear. Um, when you kind of look out, are you worried about the next recession? What is kind of your thought process there? Look cold reality is I'm not losing my job. I, I, I barely have a job, and the one I do have looks like this. So I, I, what are they going to do? I'm not going to be a bit of a podcast. Um, my kids all have legit jobs. They're probably safe. Um, the people who are not safe is at the lower end of the food chain or maybe the middle management, and and, and, and it's it's a problem, and, and, and we can't protect them. The government should be protecting them in some manifestation reform. Um, I do think that there was a a public policy mistake in not helping the transition from, you know, local manufacturing to uh, foreign manufacturing. 
we got rid of all the horses and all the buggies and the buggy whips and went to cars and things were just fine. Going from, you know, making things here to services, we should have provided other ways for people to go and, and use their skills uh, properly uh, where they could transition to other jobs that are safer and, and, and uh, very remunerative. Um, maybe we'll do, do that this time. Um, there will be people who lose their jobs, but it's not going to be, we're, we're not going, you know, 8% unemployment. We'll, 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 I mean, by the time we get to five, that'll be enough to go and um, take the edge off uh, of inflation and the Fed will chill. Uh, my prediction is that I think the Fed, they're supposed to be smart guys looking ahead, making decisions based upon their models, their predictions. Um, and and, and um, CPI is a lagging indicator. We're looking backwards uh, with, with the CPI. But we should be looking forward for policy. When they raise rates, it takes six months to get into the system, man. So, I mean, there's this whole lag going on. The problem is the Fed burned that shit, right? They they, they said, when inflation first came through, they said, it's transitory. We're not going to raise rates. We're going to hold off. They were wrong. And now no one trusts them anymore. So now they can't raise, they can't lower rates or at least stop raising rates. Do you actually have inflation stop going up? So they're going to make forward policy based upon a lagging indicator, which is not good, but they have no plan B because they burn their credibility. So they ain't going to go and really take rates down until you see a four handle on CPI and a two handle on core PCE. Core PCE is the, um, uh, to take the inflation rate of the, of the core economy. And core is when you pull out food and energy. Now, a lot of people are right now waving their hands saying, well, if you look at no food, and no energy, and no shelter, and no everything else, then inflation is only six and not eight and nine. I got like, oh, by the way, CPI minus everything is zero. So you can't pick out everything. Sorry. Um, but the, the Fed's, you know, measured rates of, of core PCE and, and then uh, CPI, it's got to be a four handle. And that ain't happening until next year, you know, early next year, mid next year. Yeah. So the Fed is going to get rates to four and change, and then they're going to stop. And then they're going to watch. Yeah. I, and, and, oh, go ahead. I was going to say, I liked in your, and I didn't mean to interrupt you, but I, I liked in your piece, um, I'll, I'll quote it to you, but you wrote, uh, no matter, the Fed has effectively purchased a berth on the Titanic after it hit the iceberg. Mr. Powell is conducting the band while the market is sending up rescue flares, and we all wonder who will find a lifeboat. That was a good line, wasn't it? I, I, I knew that was the line everyone would, would pick up. It's kind of interesting. You read a 10-page piece, and you know exactly which line everyone would quote. Yeah. So yeah, that, 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 was, that was clever. Look, it's a great piece. I, and I, I mean, I'm, you've been writing for several years, so maybe I just want to quickly ask you about writing, because it seems to me like a lot of great investors are also great writers, too. And I was maybe wondering like, if you could share how writing has helped you um, in your investment career. And is it something you would say to like young, aspiring uh, folks who might want to go into finance that they should also learn how to write? Because I would say, Harley, you certainly have a gift uh, with, uh, with, when it comes to words. It comes with old age also. Um, I'll, I'll answer the question you kind of asked, which is, if you're going to college, I'm not in favor of an undergrad business degree per se. Not saying my daughter went to Wharton. I, I, I like the idea of take the humanities, take history, take writing, take expand your mind and learn to express yourself. We got plenty of people who could run a spreadsheet and do equations, Okay. Um, if you want to be a coder, be my guest. But at the end of the day, if you want to be successful, 
you should be able to take your, your genius and tell it to somebody else. If you can't do that, then you're, they're going to lock you in a small room. They'll pay you okay, but you're not going to get the big bucks, man. You should be able to go and explain your thoughts and your ideas to somebody else. Either sales or management is communication skills. And that's what you got to go and build up. And um, as far as writing goes, um, you need to be challenged. And this is where I really have my uh, my, 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 my fight with, uh, you know, woke society um, and, and being, uh, what, being, being uh, what do they call that? Uh, not challenged. I'll come to you in a second. Um, you want to be challenged. You, you don't want to be hit in the face. You don't want to be called bad names. But you want to be taken to task for your ideas. Uh, U Chicago is the best school on the planet because, you know, they, the way they teach is you get to learn everything uh, your first two years. Um, and then they, you can go and focus on stuff. Uh, whereas like a Brown University, fine school, if you go there, congratulations. What do they say? Take 40 credits and then call me when you're done. I don't believe in that. I believe in having a very broad education. And the reason why I miss being on a trading floor is I want someone to look at my idea and say, you are dead wrong. Here's why. And by the way, you're fat and bald too. Um, I want to be challenged. I want to be able to defend my idea. And maybe I am wrong. If you can't defend your idea, you don't know it well enough. And when you write something, when you write your ideas, you're forced to explain them and understand them and figure out where you might be wrong. Um, and that's why even when I left Wall Street, uh, I, I, I kept writing and, and publishing uh, for, uh, for years. Because if, if no one reads it, I don't care. Well, I'd like you to read it, but I don't, I don't care because I'm doing it for myself. I'm writing for myself so I think about ideas and I can process a thought. And from that idea, I could then go invest my personal money. Yeah. Um, so almost everything you read, uh, that, that's, my, that's my PA. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a hedge fund of one. And, and I do almost every trade that I, I write about. I love that. And I... And uh, like putting your ideas out there and, you know, take, you know, helping you form that argument and putting yourself on the grills and uh, defending your ideas and really sharpening them. I love that. The other thing I loved on your website, and I'll give you a chance to plug it in a sec, but you have the Maven mantra. And the reason I'm bringing it up is like you mentioned, it was like a kind of a, a quote in this, in this conversation about life being transitory, but it kind of reminded me as part of your mantra too, like we're only here for, you know, not, not that long. Uh, we're, well, well, none of us are getting out of here alive, I guess it's one way to put it. But um, can you kind of share your Maven mantra? Because I just love it and like the, the kind of three pillars of it. I, 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 it's never different this time. Um, but the other one is you're born, you live, you die. Then you're dead for a very long time, much, much longer than you think. Uh, and, and just go and do stuff. OK, I mean, I have a, another website, Bassman.net, um, where I have all of our family vacations. I, I have four kids. And we did everything. We did all seven continents. We had five RV trips, which are very easy and very inexpensive um, to do. Um, and they're they're not quite as bad as the Robin, Robin Williams movie, but eh, trust me, it's pretty easy to drive a 30-foot truck. Um, go and do stuff. Do not go and, and, and sit at your job and be trapped and think you can't take a vacation. When I started at Merrill Lynch, I was running this option business, and it was really kind of me, and that's about it. Um, and I had to take a vacation. And I got things set up where it's kind of be an autopilot. And I had one guy who could kind of cover for me. And the big, big boss comes over and says, well, you know, what do we do if you need if, you, if we need you? I said, how do we call you? I said, you don't. I said, if, if it's a small problem, you don't need me. If it's a big problem, I can't fix it. Like, what am I going to do? So it's a hundred million tens on the road. Like, that's not going to happen. 
You need to go and get out, take your vacations, decompress, go with your family. The graveyards are full of um, very important people. Um, and, 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 and when people, when my people would, would go on vacation, they might call in to ask about the markets. I would just hang up on them and say, none of your business, go away, go on your vacation. You don't have to know this stuff. You need to go and chill your mind and decompress. Yeah. Have that healthy boundary. And the other one you mentioned, um, it's always about character. And I love that one. I think that was my favorite one. Uh, that's true also. I mean, I mean, most, most, uh, you know, bad deeds happen from people, you know, taking a shortcut in some manner, fashion, or form. Um, and, and also, I would add that for, we're talking about, you know, younger people here who are listening. To my own self be true. You got to know what you know and what you don't know. Everyone wants to go, like, like, like in the medical field, everyone wants to be the surgeon. He, he's, the, he's the big hero, you know, uh, uh, in the hospital, the big guy who gets paid the most. But the reality is most people are not cut out to be surgeons. Go and figure out what you will be good at. Where do you have a small marginal advantage? Go and do that. Not only will you be happier, you will do better. And it may not be as big a prestige as, you, as you'd like to have, but you'll probably make more money in the end because you'll be more successful at that job. Just go to the go to the bathroom, last stall on the left, have between your knees and say, what is my real skill and advantage? And, and do that. Yeah. Harley, where can folks find you and learn more? Uh, so I publish on uh, convexitymaven.com. Uh, I publish every four to six weeks or whenever I feel like it. Uh, if you want it, it's free. Uh, I have a very large archive of 15 years of work. The stuff you might want to read is in the um, called the Maven's Classroom. That's where I, I write about things that are, uh, it's not, they're not a trade. They're more long-term things, uh, ideas. Uh, if you want to join, just send me an email, uh, harley at bassman.net, which is on the website. I'll add you to my list. And um, I, I, I encourage you to go look at uh, simplify.us, company I work at. We have some very, very clever ideas that are extraordinarily inexpensive as far as fees go. And there's there's four or five of them that are really lights out. We're, we're taking professional ideas and putting them into the you know the civilian, the retail chain, uh, high net worth or even not high, even ordinary worth people, um, where we basically accentuate the positive and cushion the negative via derivatives, which ordinarily you can't get. We have access to Wall Street via various stuff that nobody else has. Um, shockingly. Um, and so we trade with the big boys. Uh, we trade even footing with a PIMCO or a CalPERS or a state of California, anybody else. Um, look at our stuff. You'll like it. I love it. Harley Bassman, the convexity maven and managing partner of Simplify Asset Management. It was so fun learning from you and having you on the show. Thank you so much for being so generous with your time. Thank you. Have a good day. You too.